open your mind. It's possible. So as you envision the ideal day, the ideal firm, the ideal work life, you can have your cake and eat it too. It's not easy, but it's possible. Sounds like a whole commercial for getting rid of timesheets, but. <laughs> you need still need the data. If you're, if you're not comfortable going to free ball, you got to wear the underpants and the times is the underpants. We need that to keep us secure. I don't know. You just said about seven things why we don't need time, but maybe you should try free balling. I love that quote, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to use that. That one, that one came freely too. That was <laughs> free I didn't that. I just made it up right then. At least we're recording this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll clip that out and just play it on loop. That'll be the trailer. please. Welcome to Accounting High. It's freshman year at a brand new school. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you. In addition, share this episode on social media tagging us at Accounting High. So with all that said, sit back, relax, and open your mind because class is in session. May I have your attention, please? I repeat. May I have your attention, please? This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star. Jason Ackerman and Scott Scarano. We're going to have a problem here. Special guest, Chet Buckman. Did I say your name right? You did. Thank you. Let's go, baby. I've known Chet for like 10 Buckman. years. Yeah, it's German. German, yeah, German. They so, do those silent H's in there. So Chet runs a, how many people do you have now? At the we park? have, if I send an email out to everybody, I think it's about 95. So not, almost to the magical hundred number. It is. And you were, and when we met in 2014, how many people did you have? About 35 to 40. Yeah. So you've grown a lot in the last six, eight years. We have, so we've been very blessed. And you've got it. Why don't you give us your background of how you got into accounting? Cause I think what's the name of this her? I don't even know the name. It's a lot of letters. It's yeah, it is a lot of letters. And I want to touch on that too. It's a lot of names, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a Swindle, Jameson, Hockenloid. Okay. And do you go by the acronym of all the initials? Or do you we don't, them? but we're about ready to. Okay. So it's something we're testing right now. Get so there. so tell us how you got into accounting first. Yeah, great question. Um, so Feel I was free to say great question every time <laughs> I talk. <laughs> Especially you, Jason. Probably like everybody does. Good with numbers, okay with few people to begin with. Good high school accounting teacher, good college teachers, professors poured into me. 
got me off to a good start. Had the opportunity to teach at K-State. Got a good job right out of college. And I kind of it from there. But were you working at a bank? I did. So I ran away from public accounting for about two years. So I started at big firm in Kansas City. I ran away from it, went to banking, and then back to accounting. So why'd you decide to go back? So I like working with clients a little bit differently. Truly being able to help them be their advisors. In banking, it's kind of difficult. It's possible, but it's a lot harder. The relationship's different. And so seeing that, and at the same time, there's a great opportunity at this first firm. There was one of the named partners get ready to retire in about five years. They said, hey, there's an opportunity here. You have to start over at the bottom, work your way up, prove yourselves, and it may work out for you. And when you came to work back at the firm, how many people were there? Between 22 and 25. And there were four partners? Four partners. And you and you were basically like, I'm going to take over that one partner. Now, how, how, like, describe what the firm was like then compared to how it is now. So at that time, it had been more, as you had imagined, great people doing great work, one location in this community of about 14,000 people, great client base, working probably the 2,800 to 3,000 hours for partners with a desire to change. The partners at that time, except for the one, were about early 50s, wanting something different, wanting something better. And so great supporters all along the way, great team, just want something different. So that's kind of been the mission we've been on. And how many of those partners are still there? All still here, just different capacity, except for one, I guess. Yes. So, divide different capacities. So we have an opportunity when you retire as a partner, you can stay on as a principal. Different will reduce capacity. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool because there's so so many partners that want to keep contributing or working, but. They might not have a place in the, in their old firm, but they have all this knowledge. You don't want knowledge, great relationships, great people get it. Very supportive. Cause the the big four firms, it's like, once you turn, was it 50 or 55, like you're out. Then they probably did people like you. (laughs) So I, I think of you, so we're, Chad and I are in a. With the AICPA, we're in a mid-sized firm group of like size firms around the country. And you, you're, I think of you as being very cerebral and like really thinking about the future of accounting and how to change a firm. And you've got a, you know, 95 people. It's a lot harder to do stuff like that. So kind of talk about some of the things that you're the cerebral CPA. <laughs> I've never been called that, but I appreciate it. Yeah. I think that could be, that's your side <laughs> podcast. You want to start the cerebral CPA. So, t- so you, you talked about that, you know, partners are working a lot. Staff are working a lot when you started kind of, what are you working on now in the firm 
to kind of change that? What have you implemented over the last couple of years that you've seen that people really like? Yeah. Uh, so high quality work-life balance. And so that 10, 11 years ago, I was introduced to systems theory. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that or not, but it's kind of a different way to look at uh, and manage the relationships in an organization or it could be a family in it. And so one of the big overarching goals we had was people don't want to be in our industry. People are frustrated. People want to be around their families. And so figuring out a way to change the model so that can happen. And so we've been working really hard on reducing hours, working with clients differently, and just trying to f f prove a different model. So what, so what does it mean by work with clients differently? So most of the time when people think of accountants, immediately they think of tax and the core work. So tax, payroll, bookkeeping. And so what's been really working on is spending more time and working with clients in a different capacity. Some call it advisory, just being there for them. Relationships. Relationships. But then how, how, who's doing the traditional work then? In our firm, it's everybody. So we have a little bit more of an integrated approach. The thesis was, if you give people a little bit more time, most accountants get into this business because A, they're good with numbers, but then B, they like to help, help people, help organizations. But the hurdle has always been time. And so finding ways to give them more time and a little bit more space to spend just that little bit more with clients, be a little bit more responsive, be a little bit more proactive versus reactive, being able to have the time to just visit with a client. And so we would generate what people would call kind of random acts of consulting, advisory, um, relationships. So when a client's experiencing something, they're more likely than to think of you to help provide them quality information to make a decision. It could be uh, as simple as an ear just to listen to them. So, so that's kind of what I work on. So when you talk about time though, so do you set expectations with your people that they work a certain amount of hours a week or chargeable hours, and then they have this other time for the consulting aspect, how are you kind of trying to get them to spend this extra time? So the first part of your question, most of our team members work a 40 hour work week. We still keep time sheets, which is, we're not quite to the Hackerman's level yet. That's a, uh, hey, Scott a polarized not keep topic. track of time sheets. And then he went back to keeping track. So. Yeah, but now I'm going I'm back outnumbered. to not. Oh, you're back to not now. That's new. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't quite threw it away yet. We still, we still need the data. It's da it's important data for us. The, it's a, we need the data too. Still, we're not good enough managers of people as well as client projects. Yeah. As you have multiple locations, not scaling them by types of clients. Like we're not, we're not in the luxury of, of niching and having all the same type of client. I think a lot of us, you know, some say generalists, but a lot of us that have multiple client types it's very hard to systematize all of that because it's 
they vary so much and there's a lot of context shifted from client to client. Yeah, extremely difficult. And what do you think? So during a normal week, 40 hours a week, during busy season, more traditional busy seasons, we've been able to get our hours down from 52 to 50. This year we're going to do 48, next year 45. So going back to this well, consulting. I, I'm actually interested in the incremental changes. Like I've always been one to make sweeping changes across the board. I, I've never been able to stick to, we're going to do this three hours this year, three hours the next year. I just lose interest at that point. I'm just, I slice it down to, to go straight to the end and figure it out. Why are you guys staggering us? Yeah, I was the same way. So when I was younger, full of fire, ready to go, making sweeping changes. And then I'd realize I go from your old left to the right, up, down. You look pretty young. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be 42. I am 42. Yeah. So you're about our age, 38. Yeah. Okay. And so what I realized is that accountants function better and the system responds better to incremental change. When I made sweeping change, it created a lot of anxiety in the system unnecessarily. And so if I made that mistake. Sorry. Scott's the team of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, no, no, I agree with that. My team feels the same way. Whenever we do something, they will just slow down. Yeah. I think that's the hard part from a firm owner or firm manager. It's like, you know where you need to go, but like how you get there is kind of the hard part. We bump our heads along the way. We're not so great with people too, us accountants. We get, we get there eventually, but. So, so how are you making sure that people are only working like this 40 hours a week? And that they have time to do the consulting and stuff. So we track the data. So we get daily reports, weekly reports, monthly reports, and we monitor both on the low side as well as the high side. Cause we know if someone goes from working 40 hours a week to 45 or 48, sometimes it's very healthy, you know, cause they're learning something new. They're being challenged. Other times it's unnecessary. There's, we've miscommunicated, we're being poor managers or they're just struggling. And so we use those things as an indicator to have a conversation because maybe it's justified and warranted. Others, the system's broken. So that's, that's really interesting. So you're using the data and then you don't have a conversation. So you're like, you're not quite you know, there's an outlier and then you use that to kind of say, Hey, what's going on here? Correct. And sometimes it's just being around somebody and observing them. You know, if, if let's say Jason, you're on our team and we see that there's a spike in your hours, I manage a lot from walking around and our team does as well. And so we're going to pay attention and walk by you and observe, observe you and see are you overly stressed or feeling good? And then make an adjustment based on that. That's super interesting that you, you have a human touch. How do you do that though? When you, you know, you have four, you have four offices, right? Four offices and, and you have remote 
And you, so how are you managing like from different offices or virtual when you can't walk by their desk or see them? Thankfully, I've been doing this now for about 10 years. And so you use the data as an indicator. Like if you paid attention long enough, you kind of know and you can sense outliers. And sometimes it's a false positive. Other times it's spot on. But then we have great leaders in each one of our offices. So we kind of have eyes or boots on the ground, so to speak. And they're kind of on a train, have high levels of empathy, high levels of EQ. What are the key KPIs that you look at on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis to, for your firm? So I'm um, data-centric uh, and obsessive, I guess you could say. So I'm looking at daily productivity, so daily utilization to Do you the look at this data hour. daily? What's that? How does this data help you every day? You say, you look, so, are you looking at it daily? I'm looking at it daily. So it's kind of like, think about, we don't like to look at it as a manufacturing floor, but it's helpful for me to kind of think of it that way. And so well, that's we how have, you see it. That's how, that's your perception of it. Then of course you're looking at that data, like a manufacturing floor, like they, like management team on there would look at it. And that's your feedback loop. Is that, is that right? Do you make reactions and changes based on that data? Um, not daily. Not daily. Daily is just to have a feel. Are we running at the right temperature? Are we running hot? Are we running cold? Because sometimes if you don't have enough work going through the system, that allows people to back off too much. It allows too much flexibility in the system. They, well, they create space too. And they'll, they'll fill that space with work. Uh -huh. And you may see that reflexively, like, you know, if somebody has less work yet, all their other projects are taking a bit longer because they're filling the time. Correct. I'm just looking at it like having that data roll up into something. And, you know, we recently had on Ron Baker and he's all about the performance indicators that are leading, right? So the leading indicators rather than the lags. And I had a hard time coming up with a few new leading indicators with him. I don't know if you have any, any of this data. Is it leading indicators? Is it the lag? Like... So our best leading indicator is just starts at the partner level, proactive daily and weekly touches. Just so one of the, the things we have touches? in our That's a leading. Yeah. That's a, that's our leading indicator. Yeah, I come in here on mute. What does, what does touches mean? means as simple as reaching out to a client you haven't talked to either in a few weeks or a few months that's not expecting your call again as well as a team member so for example a team member had a birthday on friday there's a pretty good chance a few of our partners reached out to wish him a happy birthday and then they laud that as time they have a code that says whatever that's that time and that's how you know that that happened. That doesn't go, it's a good, good question. It doesn't go into time. That's a different tracking. So it's an, it's, that's good. it's a, as important enough lever or indicator for us that we track that differently. So what else are you tracking? That's not time. So we have a, 
a win the day initiative down to the team member level. And so each day, each person, each team member has an opportunity to make a dollar, a gold coin if they win the day. And so we have anywhere from one to five things that they come up with that would create a win for that particular day. And so that's holistic. That's not even, not just client centric. That could be walking something relational inside of work, outside of work. So that's something we monitor on a weekly basis. So Ron Baker has something called CBD. I know they're not called CBDs. I'm calling them CBDs now that career best days, or I forgot what he calls them, but he had an acronym. I'm just saying CBD because it's CBD, but that's, that's very similar to what yours is. You know, they're like something that you want to pump your fist that I, this was, this is why I do this. Like those days. Yeah. Correct. And we just want to take it down to daily habits. If we can form good daily habits. Hell yeah. That's we're awesome. more likely to end up in a better spot. So I've been, I have a habit tracker now. Uh, read Atomic Habits. Shout out to <clears throat> James Clear, Atomic Habits. And, you know, we talk about a lot of this, tracking these things. That, and that, those are the leading indicators is the processes. And you're only as strong as your weakest process and your weakest, you know, let's say habit. Um, what are some, what are some of your habits that you're tracking or do you track in? Do you have any habits? I do. So like for me, we have a reading program. So I'm a big reader, as you can tell, it looks like you're the same. Yeah. So I read for at least 15 minutes a day. Gratitude. So I have a gratitude journal I practice in. I want to make sure I'm doing something in physical fitness. Uh huh. Focus time. Is something we have inside of our firm each day from yep. 9.30 to 11.30. So I want to make sure I adhere to that. That's great. And you're hitting all the different buckets with those two that you were saying. Like I, took me a while, but I got 12 of them that I'm trying to track every day. I don't hit all 12 every day, but I try. And they all kind of- Can you, can you give me those 12? I can give you, because they're all numbered, right? So they're, because we work with numbers. So one is I got to write one line a day of something, write one line two, read two pages. So it's something small, right? Like usually I read more than two pages, but kind of like you said, 15 minutes, it may not take me 15 minutes. Three is I got to check three of those boxes. So three is kind of a, a giveaway. It's an easy one. Cause if I check three of them, then I get to check that one. Four is, uh, come back to me. I, I, I switched gears. So then six is meditate for six breaths or six minutes. Seven is exercise for seven minutes. Eight is sleep eight hours nine is uh 10 is ten thousand steps this is riveting i know, I know. 11 is well this is i should have them all memorized I'll, I'll get back to you with 11 8 and so 12 is stand one hour for 12 hours of the day but, i love it but that's the importance of the habits because that affects everything else in your life i'm sure you know meditate is and I, I said that one sorry it's just going to come up later where i'm going to blurt out with those other so you know, all of those things are in sync. And I think that when you lead that way, does your team have a renewed focus or importance in cultivating those habits outside of work too? Like, are you inspiration to them? I hope so. I think there's, I can't remember who wrote it, but fundamentally, maybe it was Drucker. You can't, or your team can't outgrow you. And so stay growing, stay learning yourself. And so I think that's critically important. And I've noticed 
our team are doing a lot of the same things. Oh, yeah. many of our many of our programs are optional, and we notice a lot of participation. Well, the, the your stars and the people that want to strive and aspire to be stars, they're going to participate regardless, and you don't have to drag them along. But then it's always the problem, people, that you got to encourage. Like, I want you to do this because you're going to help the others, right? Like, there's always people that won't do it because they're above it or they feel like they're better than that because they've already i've seen that too i don't know yeah, what's do, interesting do you see a correlation yeah and what's interesting is some of our lower or mid-level performers we just weren't connecting with and so when we have multiple programs there's typically one of those they grab onto and it's interesting whatever that program might be they light up and they go from I'm like I say disengaged, but not actively engaged in our firm. Till all of a sudden, boom, it hits, and they start moving forward. Everything else, not always. Click. Like they have a better perspective on everything else too, so they're they're a better all around human, so to speak. So, how many little humans do you have at your house? We have three, three. If you, and then five if you count the two dogs. So. What would you say, like, if you were to ask a first year or second year team member, what would they say is the best thing about the firm? Good people, kind, caring, there for you, family oriented environment. So the family, you're working, you're at an office now, right? Did you stay in the office throughout COVID? Did you, do you do any work from home? I did a little bit of work, but I was primarily from the office. Okay. And, we had and several of our team members working from home. Did you guys during COVID too stop going to the office or? We did. We had um, maybe six or seven of us in our office, this office I'm in, which usually has about 30 to 35. Okay. And so at, what Ackerman's experienced and what others are is, you know, that now they have a shell of what it used to be, right? Like at the office, I guess. Is that what you're still experiencing now? We have, no, we're probably closer to the way it was before, but we have probably another 10% of our team that is now hybrid. And that's new on top of what you had before. So it's- We had a little bit before, okay. thanks to our virtual office, but probably another nine or so that are hybrid. Now, do you have anybody local that options to be hybrid or? We do. Which is interesting. I was not expecting that. You were expecting so, them to want to go back to the office or to want to be at home all the time? I, yeah, either or. Okay. Do you give people the option to work from home or work from the office when they want, or do they have to be at the office a certain amount of time? So it's not something we evaluate all the time. It comes up situationally. When we re-entered, I'm going to call it re-entered after COVID. We gave people the option to evaluate, what do you want to be? Full-time in the office, full-time at home or hybrid. But we asked them to at least go back to their normal environment for two weeks. So they had something to measure off of because COVID was very disorienting. We wanted to get them back into closer to what their normal environment would have been and then allow them an opportunity to make the decision after that. So most people made those decisions post COVID and then it comes up situationally now, like someone has their first child 
someone moves to a different city. So that they have COVID events in their life, right? Like you have, when you have a big event, that's going to disorient you. Like I've been permanently disoriented from COVID. Um, I'm still disoriented right now to a degree. I feel like I just finally, you know, got my bearings again, but did, had, did you experience any of that? Like you got three kids that were probably at home during COVID. Uh, how about you? Like personally, did you feel like you needed to get back to the office um, to get anything done? Or were you able to balance it? For me, I was one of the six or seven that was almost always in the office. I felt like I needed to be here because we had a few of our team members that need to be here for processing returns at that time when it first started. So that's another thing too. Like, did you guys ever considered going all paperless or couldn't? Like processing returns, that was our forcing mechanism for our clients yeah. too. So it's accelerated in our firm. So we had just started using SafeSend. And so it accelerated that. But we still had quite a few of our clients that are in the midst of that transition. So we set a lot of paper flow at that point. What are the things you, you've hired a data analyst or maybe multiple data analysts now. That's kind of your big new thing that you think is going to be the future, part of the future of accounting. So kind of. Tell us like why you hired these data analysts, what they're doing now and kind of where you see them, what you see them doing in the future. Yeah, about five years ago, we invested heavy in data analytics, thinking that as we transform our relationship with our clients, how do we make their information more visually appealing? So Tableau is a product that was out there. And so. We invested heavily in learning Tableau, but then also the user case for how does an accounting firm Tableau apply like it? What Tableau is? It's kind of like Power BI if you've heard. Power BI. Okay. Tableau would be like the visual analytics tool like Power BI. Okay. Okay. Ah, that is pretty dope. So. Yeah, it's it's been huge. So like for us during COVID, it helped out tremendously having that as an asset. Fast like, forward a few years, and today we have three essentially full-time on our data analytics team, two interns this summer who are heavy into figuring out RPA and the application for us with our firm, with, I mean, with our clients as well as our firm. What does that do to your roadmap and the future of the firm? Has that drastically altered, you know, the way that you guys hire and, and plan for sure. And we're also finding that a lot of accountants want to do something a little bit differently. So some really like forensic accounting, data analytics is becoming very sexy. It's fun. It's different. It's challenging. And so we're trying to figure out what are those service lines that if I was a tax practitioner. I may also want to do this. Yeah. But then we also have quite a few non-traditional hires well, coming into our firm. What are the non-traditional hires? Like so they would be analysts from large corporations. They might be someone in finance, people in uh, private accounting coming back over to public accounting. And, and what do they do? Actually, are they there's doing a couple the, really good, good, good. 
Are they doing like tax work or like normal accounting work? Or are you kind of finding new roles for them to help with advisory services that you're doing? All the above. So we got really aggressive in trying to find creative ways to solve for the talent shortage. So if we can add, we have some people that are full into the service line, like data analytics, but then we also have some split their time between client accounting service and analytics. So how, when you're hiring these people that don't have the client spin, kind of what's your process? How are you making sure that there's going to be a good fit for the firm and can do some of the work? Yeah. So it kind of goes back to our hiring practice. Uh, do they fit our firm from a people standpoint? Are they going to be a team member that'll fit in with our team and be successful here? So for us, think about Midwestern values as well as we got to be smart. So when you hire good, smart, capable people who are hungry, they can learn just about anything. Humble, hungry, smart. That's something that Patrick Mencioni talks about a lot. Absolutely. That's a pillar confidence. It's a killer and shit trifecta of a person. And when you find those types of people, you want to nurture them and help them grow. How hopefully they grow with you, right? Cause you're growing as well. Do you have any rock stars that you kind of see that early on? Yeah. And, and what's interesting, I liken it to professional sports. You can kind of go to the high school level and identify stars on the athletic field or the court, it's a lot like accounting. It's amazing as you kind of look at it that way, many doors open up. So we kind of look at it, how can we help them create peak performance? How can we help them maximize their potential? So you mentioned how in high school you had an accounting class. I want to go back and not too many people had any exposure to accounting in high school. Not too many. I mean, that, that we talked to, everybody always eventually got into it or got there. Did you have somebody that made an impression on you? Like your parents were in CPAs. Is that correct? No, they so, weren't. You're not the son of a CPA. Um, Unfortunately not. Man. But what was it in high school that made that imprint? So we had a business teacher named Chris Strathman, who is also the girls basketball coach. And he was kind to me, saw something in me in class and gave me extra attention, kind of took me under his wing, saw something in me. And I think it made me believe in myself. And so as I look back, I always kind of go back to that high school teacher, college professor that kind of gave me that little extra. You don't want to let him down, but you also want to make them proud. Yeah. And as can eat, they open the doors for me. And that's a choice too. But you know, like to most of the time we want to make our parents proud, but we're born with that to find other people that, you know, have made that impression on you, giving you that resolve and that confidence really can push you at a young age too. So, and it's always that person that makes that imprint that, that we all want to, that we all kind of see in the back of our minds, you know, the rest of our lives too. Whereas, yeah, and I appreciate that. They didn't do their minimum. They went above and beyond. Yeah. So how, how do you try to be a role model? You, you got 95 people. That's a lot of people. Like, 
you can't ha- interact with all of them on a day-to-day basis or even you probably don't see a lot of them. Like, how do you try and role model your, yourself for the firm so they get the perspective of what you're trying to get from the firm? Yeah, that's a tough one. Because you want to pick up the good things, not the bad things. Notice the bad things and, and learn from it. It's a daily choice. And it's not easy. And at the same time, you, you can't pour into everybody. You'd like to. But we wouldn't get where we want to if that was the case. So I also try to make a conscious decision to pour into some of our key leaders, some of our key future leaders who will take their time they spend with me and multiply it through our organization. Also trying to model some of the the good things that, that we like to do. So if it's focus time, making sure that I do it, making sure I'm not the guy that sends emails out at 10 o'clock in the morning when I should be focused on my d- like deep work. Cal Newport, yeah, yeah, yeah. shout out to him. His stuff is good. Changed my life, yeah. It's, it's, it takes a lot of intention, but you said to do things consciously, right? Because a lot of times we operate on our subconscious and we just knee jerk our way through. You know, that that's why people are overworked and stressed and you know, because they have no intention with anything they're doing. They're not doing anything consciously. They're just kind of basically plowing their way through the day, reacting, reacting, reacting in that hyperactive hive mind, as he would say. But to do things intentionally, to have a firm operate like that, I feel like, you know, you're way, way ahead of the game when it comes to then making other changes within the firm or being more, being a better leader and ruling by like setting, by, setting a good example. I was going to say ruling by example, but setting the right example. Yeah. Yeah. Like that when I appreciate it, the idea, like when Jason is asking the question about how to integrate advisory and the time for that, the thesis was if we can eliminate waste, create more usable time that doesn't get wasted, people will do the natural and the right thing, which is help others. Yeah. And so how do we create space for the natural to happen? Well, you have to, you know, anybody is going to do what they have to in that short amount of time if they're pressured to do it. And that's moral ethics, or even just to go above and take that extra step. Like your high school teacher did, like, you know, like you have probably seen your team do if you're giving them that extra space, but how do we give them more capacity and more space if we're also trying to backfill them with the right amount of work, because we have too much capacity we know they let them they go crazy if they have too much you know what i mean like so that there's a balance between that yeah we're we're fundamentally overtaxing their cognitive processing ability and we just kind of slow that down we don't understand how many inputs we're giving them too because we've been reacting to it most of our working lives and trying to handle more inputs and more screens and more windows open and more you know options to communicate like slack google chat zoom google meets phone text dial pad you know everything like there's so we're still trying to adapt to all that and i don't think we even know what the hell we're doing and everybody's throwing us this new tool that's going to fix everything else but really it's just adding another you know needle to the stack the app stack the app needle to the app stack yeah, and we're prone 
and we talk a lot about efficiency versus effectiveness. Yeah. You know, doing the right thing or what we should do versus what's the pressing thing today. Planning. Sounds like a whole commercial for getting rid of timesheets, but. <laughs> you need still need the data if you're if you're not comfortable going to free ball you got to wear the underpants and the times is the underpants we need that to keep us secure i don't know you just said about seven things why we don't need time but maybe you should try free balling i love that quote by the way <laughs> I'm going to use that. That one, that one came freely too. That was <laughs> yeah. bad. I just made it up right then. <laughs> At least we're recording this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll clip that out and just play it on loop. That'll be the trailer. So, so what do you, what do you see as the biggest things that are going to change in your firm in the next five years? I think the relationship is going to be the biggest ones. The relationship, the client, what we do for them how we work with them. It's going to be even more team-based approach, more services for the same client at the same time, then in a high quality integrated work life. And I hate to use the word work-life balance, but that's most commonly used. Uh, how, how our team it, works. And it's well known, widely regarded as the option of everybody should be striving toward that. And as we get closer to it, then they change the goal line. And now we got to do work-life integration. <laughs> like what to just had this balance thing figured out, I'm just starting to balance it. Now you got to tell me that I got to do them both at the same time. Like, um, sorry, but yeah, that's to that point too. Yeah. But those are the, those are the top two internally. We work differently, but then externally client facing they should experience something totally different. Sure. And what, what's the thing you're most excited for over the next like six months? Fixed busy season. I think we're making a whole lot of inroads. Uh, a lot of great things going there at the highest level. So the AI CPA is putting resources behind it. There's a lot of conversation that's happening about it. So I think people know, and they're beginning to talk more and more about our business model is flawed and it needs fixed. And so the conversations are happening in and around all kinds of controversial topics. But the best thing is people are talking about it. And when people are talking about it, we're more likely to end up in a better place. Technologies, innovating, it's, yeah, it's exciting. So I'm most excited about the progress we're making with busy season as an industry. Well, we want to strive to get it to the point where we don't have to use that phrase, busy season. If we can get there, then we've, we've won the race. Right. So and it's scary. It was the hardest thing for me. And it's still to this day to not work extra hours. It's tough to walk out when you should walk out. You got a child's activity. I coach a lot of sports. I love going to doing that and I don't miss it. I'd, I go to all of them, but it's hard because you spend so many years functioning a certain way. It's scary heading into a new life. Hell yeah, it is. Still in the middle of that. I've, I've headed, that's why I feel so disoriented. Do you find that after the sporting events, are you, do you have a workstation at home and you're going back to work 
when you're at home or have you kept that separate? Because that's what at the point I was trying to drive earlier when I was asking if you're, because for me, you know, I never, I had a problem turning it on. I didn't have a problem turning it off. I would, I wouldn't even work at all when I was working from home. I would just spend the time here. Like I'd just basically just live. Also work. Do you find that you're doing that? I feel like I'm doing a better job. I do. I don't have a workstation at home. And my best day probably is if I don't have a computer at work. I know that. Don't have a computer at work. I do have a computer, but my best day is going to be when my computer doesn't come on. That's, you're you're tracking your career best day. I know it's not CBD, but like your best day is the day. Like that's, that's what I used to say. Cause I don't check my email much at all. Now that I have a VA and we talked about that, we touched on that, but um, not checking my email and not having to be in front of a screen is the best day because you were intentional the whole day. You had, everything was already, you know, kind of planned out that you didn't have to dive into that. I love that. Now, does that mean you're trying to get away from the tax work and from the, from the other work? Cause we know that our teams cannot get away from the computer. So we have to appreciate what they still have to do on the day to day. But hundred percent. And there's certain members of our team that thrive doing that. Yeah. They love the tax work that fills their bucket. And it's helpful for them to be a part of a team that's working differently with the clients, even if it's not them necessarily doing that, being a part of a team that does it huge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's, um, Okay. Second, second to last question. When's the last time you played golf and what was your score? And when are we playing Prairie Dance? Go. Great questions. Last time I played golf, I did pretty good. So I think I got to even par. That's my own ball. This last Friday, I did play a scramble with my brother-in-law. He's an assistant baseball coach at a junior college, Butler Junior College. And we did pretty well. I got a quarter number was 19 under or something. Holy 19 under. Jason, you're on mute. I was just saying that you murder the ball. Okay. Final question. If you had one piece of advice to give other CPA firm owners, what would that piece of advice be? Open your mind. It's possible. So as you envision kind of like. Scott, we were talking about the ideal day, the ideal firm, the ideal work life. You can have your cake and eat it too. It's not easy, but it's possible. Hell I like that. Chet, this has been amazing. Do, do you want to, is there a place you want to plug anything before we go? No, I just appreciate you guys. I appreciate the conversations you're having. It's good stuff. Anyway, chat, it's been amazing. Hopefully I'll see you soon. And uh, hopefully we'll just play golf soon. Absolutely. Yeah, Chad, I appreciate you coming on. Um, this is this this has been the Cerebral CBA. CBA. We got a title for this episode. Uh, that was the title wrote itself when you said it was Cerebral. I said, that's, that's what my uncle says I am. He, my uncle listens to me. He works at the IRS and likes to tap into this sometimes and he listens. He said, I'm very cerebral and nobody's ever said that to me or I've never heard anybody say it until my uncle did it. Now Ackerman's saying it to you. So, so Scott, what are your top two book recommendations to you then? Oh, great, great question. So one I'm reading right now is Think Like a Monk um, by mm-hmm. Jay Shetty. 
it's a beautiful book. I mean, it, you know, this is, it's one of those things. The guy, um, he was a monk for like two years, you know, and then now he's can't, you know, he's got a podcast and he's, he's all over like social media and stuff now, but the book is great. You know, I'm learning how to like live in your Dharma. That's kind of what you're saying. Like have your cake and eat it too. Like live in the, in the quadrant of your life where you're having the most fun and you're making money. And like, that's what I feel like I'm doing with this podcast, right? Like, uh, you know, so I feel like I'm on the right track. Like I'm kind of learning as I go with all that. Um, but that's one, uh, I mentioned ego is the enemy. I think you probably don't really need that book, but that's why you probably would, right? Like, I, I don't know if you've ever read anything from Ryan Holiday, but he's got I have. all yeah, that stuff. I thought maybe you, you love Ryan Holiday. Yeah. He's great. I was going to start stillness is key. I hadn't, um, hadn't started that one yet because I'm in the middle of too many books. One I read recently that was just interesting was um, thinking about the present as if it were the past. It's Chuck Klosterman book. And he writes the coolest commentary books. He's like, he was an editor for Rolling Stone or writer. And so he talked a lot about pop culture, but it was, what if we're wrong is the base title. And then thinking about the present as if it were the past. So I forgot how I said it before, but it's like, as if... 100 500 years in the future what would they think of us now today so it's like rethinking everything and then going back into human history how we would rethink things that was just an intellectually fun book but i left it in mexico because i knew i would keep going back to it and it made me think some crazy thoughts too it felt like we're in a simulation that book made me think that we're living in a simulation because in the future they can simulate life and so we're one of those simulations but so did you read The Untethered Soul? No. No. Oh, you'll enjoy that a lot. So that was, that was my next question for you is I've got a couple of books to recommend. That and then did you read Compound Effect by Darren Hardy? No. It's a good one to read on the backside of Atomic Habits. Okay. Oh, that's great. And The Untethered Soul, who writes that? The Voice in Your Mind, a Voice in Your Head helping you understand it who writes it's that probably been one of the wrote? top books i've read in the last two years the untethered soul the untethered soul so that's probably going to be at top of my list this other one compound effect i feel like i've heard of it if i look at the title i might recognize it but that's that sounds awesome like it, both of those sound like great additions to my queue on these book reports that we're doing so we got we got a few on the way um, oh you'll love the untethered soul yeah Awesome. Cool. Well, great. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks again. You literally have thanks for having us. I got we'll talk guys. with you. All right. Take care, Chad. We'll talk with you. Right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.